Welcome to the Resilient Rainer, the premier podcast focused on mental performance for equestrians and improved horse show performance. Whether you're a rookie rainer or a seasoned competitor, this show is for riders who want to take their skills to the next level and achieve their full potential in the show ring. I'm Nicole Burnett, and I'm a master mindset coach who's obsessed with helping you achieve all those horse dreams you always thought were impossible. Join me each week to develop a show-ready mindset and gain the competitive edge you need to compete with confidence. Hello there, cowgirls and cowboys. This is Nicole Burnett, host of the Resilient Rainer podcast, and I am ready to chat today and get into the number one biggest misconception that I see literally every day about why people don't make progress in their riding and what it takes to succeed, what it takes to make progress. And I, I've i just been sitting on this kind of these thoughts and I'm ready to just get into it. So before I share my thoughts, take a minute and think to yourself, what do you think if I asked you, how do you get to be a better writer? What would you answer? And if I asked you, hey, so you want to get better at shows, what do you think you need to do? What would you say? What would you say? And I'm going to assume that your answer is not the same as mine. (laughs) The interesting thing here is that we are so blind sometimes that we don't even see that we're not even asking the right questions. What does it take to become a better writer? What does it take to achieve success in the show pen? And the number one thing people say is they say, you have to ride more. I want to build a bond with my horse. I need to ride more. I want to improve my technical skill sets. I need more time in the saddle. I need to ride more. If people say, gosh, I'm stuck at 65, 68 in my reigning, I'm whatever. You're stuck in the 2D at the barrel races. Got to show more. Got to go to more competitions. Got to just get time in the arena. And it's not true. This is absolutely the number one misconception is that people think that they just need to ride more. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to challenge this belief because it is the mental game and the mental preparation and the mindset and where people are at inside their mind that sets winners apart. That is what makes a difference whether it's about building a bond with your horse, whether it's about improving your riding or pulling a check at the show. It is your mental game. All right. Some of you might be intrigued. I'm sure I've ruffled a few feathers and some of you are like, oh no, Nicole, you are so, so wrong. So I don't think I'm wrong. I know I'm not wrong, but Let's explore this. There's so much here. So why is this ride more belief so prevalent? 
And I think this has a lot to do with we're just blind and that's part of being human, but we don't even realize that we're not asking the right questions. For example, I don't know if you ever do this, but I know someone who wanted to improve her writing and showing. And so she went around asking people at the show, asking people who were winning how many days a week they rode. And the idea was that that would be an important factor and that would determine, for example, how many days she rode. And most people who she asked this question to, they told her they were riding five days a week. So she told me about this and her takeaway was that winners are riding five days a week. I should be riding five days a week. You know, A equals B. And then if I ride five days a week, I will be winning. Can you see the flaw in this plan? Do you see the error in the logic. Now, I am a very logical person and I have a background in math and statistics. So it's a little bit more top of mind for me potentially. But she only interviewed the winners. She didn't go ask the losers. (laughs) You know, she didn't go ask people who were doing poorly and say, How many days a week do you ride? Because the uncomfortable truth is that a lot of the people who are not making progress in their writing or a lot of the people who aren't in the winner's circle at a show, they're also writing five days a week. But she didn't ask that question. She didn't go ask the losers and say, gosh, the winners and the losers are writing the same amount. So what is what is the real distinction? What is the underlying behavior, belief? What is creating this distinction in their results? Because it's not the number of days they ride. There's so much more. Even off the top of my head, it's things like how many of those people have I know for a fact some of these people have multiple horses in full-time training. And so therefore, if you are in that situation, let's say you have two horses in full-time training and you take two lessons a week on each of those horses, you've got, they're riding four days a week in lessons, one day a week on their own, and then their trainer is keeping their horse tuned up on the other days. So is your horse in training? Is it not? Is the difference having a more skilled rider keep your horse truly honest? Is the difference, in fact, not how many days a week they're riding, but the days of the week that their trainer's riding? We'll throw it out there. We're What we're trying to do is poke holes at the idea that it's only about this one answer, right? So is, is there any counterexample to that? Well, yes, it's people have different you know, at any given moment, their riding skill levels are different. So is it really about how many days a week you ride? Is it also potentially an influencing factor if your trainer is riding that horse? Is it an influencing factor what you do during that ride? Are you riding under direct supervision in a lesson? Are you actually learning and improving? Or are you turning into a robot where your trainer tells you to do something and you do it or you don't? And I'm not saying trainers are bad. I think they're great. But It's just that there's so much more that can be happening 
in that time. So are you improving your skill? Are you not? Again, what's happening during those rides? How many of those rides are more leisurely versus more focused training sessions for both the horse and the rider? Because if you've ever ridden a horse, there's no way you can disagree with the statement that sometimes you work on the horse and sometimes you work on the rider, right? There's a lot of times they overlap, but it's like a Venn diagram, right? Some exercises are for the horse, some are for the rider, and the best exercises are usually when you can work on the horse and the rider. But there is a Venn diagram there, isn't there? And so these are just examples that I'm spitballing here to introduce a challenge and a counterexample to the belief that just simply more time in the saddle equals more success. What if you, you know, for example, let's let's go back ways, right? Everybody loves Yellowstone the TV show. So imagine you're riding in the 1800s and you're riding all day, all day in the saddle. Are those folks who are getting more time in the saddle than you, are they going to say, be able to hop into a modern setting and do really well at reigning? Again, this is about providing a specific counterexample of there's more to it than just time in the saddle. There are, you know, specific technical skill sets there, absolutely. But what else is going on? It's the mental game, the mental training and your mental resilience and strength and all of your mindsets. That is what sets winners apart. The other thing that I'll throw out there is that I get the NRHA Raining Magazine, the Rainer. And so I love slipping through that thing. And so I read in there. And I say this because this is something that any one of you can pick up, probably even look online and see the Rainer magazine and see this proven for yourself. And what you'll see is that, oh, recently I was looking at one and they were talking about the world titles and there are multiple examples of people who talk about how they essentially fly in for the horse show. And they fly in for the show and then they do really well and they have a winning run. Good for them. And the thing that that demonstrates that's kind of an uncomfortable thing is that we like this idea of putting in the work. You have to build a bond with your horse. You have to do all of this stuff. And if you don't, you're not going to be successful. Well, isn't someone who has their horse in full-time training and flies into a show and has a winning run, isn't that a counterexample to that? It doesn't always fit the narrative. And it's not, it's not that it's bad to do that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is that I think it takes a lot of mental strength to essentially catch ride in that way. Have you ever hopped on a horse that's not your own? <laughs> Theoretically, they might have similar buttons, but it feels really different, doesn't it? Like you know, just kind of tuning into that unique horse and, you know, maybe where you apply for the lead change is off by a half inch or they're a little more sensitive, a little less. It's like there's so much that goes on mentally to be able to be super adaptable, super resilient, super just calm and unflappable. Because if you don't have that deep relationship with that horse, riding them is a different experience. And there's so many mental skills at play to be able to do that well. And so I'm not saying one is better and 
than the other or that it's good or bad. I'm pointing out that those are absolutely a demonstration, I believe, of mental skills. And my observations are that generally people really enjoy building a relationship with their horse. And so they focus on that one-on-one relationship with their horse and building it along with their technical skills. But there are mental skills at play no matter what scenario you present. You cannot escape the mental game being a part of, you know, defining characteristic of winners. It doesn't matter if your horse is in full-time training and you pop in for a show. It doesn't matter if your horse is not in training and they are in your backyard. You cannot escape the importance and the relevance of the mental game. Oh, and I have so many examples of testimonials from top riders who share how they prepare for horse shows. Let me, I'll share some. It'll be fun because it's mental stuff. It's all mental. Okay. All right. So this is from Laurel Denton. Laurel says, we all get pre-run butterflies. I go off by myself and ride my pattern in my head. I mean, really ride it. Thinking about my legs, my hands, and how to best communicate with my horse. When you ride to the start cone, you'll be thinking about riding your horse, not all the other things trying to force their way in. Lastly, take several deep breaths. I mean, if this isn't literally everything that I just love to preach about. Thank you, Laurel. (laughs) Seriously, she's talking about how she prepares as a professional horseman. And it's not about hacks and tricks and what she's doing with her horse. It's really about how she's optimizing herself for performance. She's saying, you know what? We all get pre-run butterflies. And this is so true. I think it's a false belief that we think we're going to be totally neutral always. And it's not that that's not an admirable goal. It's just that you have those feelings and those butterflies because you care, because you're excited, right? And that's a whole other thing is to reframe those feelings as excitement, but I'm not going to get sidetracked. And so she's just saying, this is part of it. It's okay. So there's acceptance, right? And she's talking about visualization, like deep, real visualization where it's in her whole body, all of her experiences, how like really pre-riding her run, and then full present moment awareness, being there with her horse. She's only riding when she's riding, and then conscious deep breathing. I mean, it's all there. It's all there. Um, I have so many, so many quotes like these. Oh, I'll share this one because I think this is a really cool um, technique that you guys can take as a, you can take this away as an action takeaway that you can apply in your life. So this is really neat. This is from Shelly Bryan. And the quote goes, if my heart rate has increased, which there's a good chance, you know, you just start feeling pitter powder a little faster. I take two quick excuse me, I take two quick inhales to one long exhale. So she goes, (gasps) I may only need to do this two to four times before my heart rate calms. I learned it from Dr. Andrew Huberman, a neuroscience professor at Stanford. I also like to focus on whatever maneuver I'm competing at that moment, meaning if something happens, I let it go and I stay focused on what I'm doing, trying to make that as best I can. So 
full commitment to the present moment. It is the only way. Whatever maneuver you just did, dead, gone. Don't even talk to me about it. We are here in the now. We do not even begin to analyze our run until we're done. So these are all mental techniques. And Dr. Andrew Huberman has done a lot of really cool stuff and research. And in my coaching program, I go over, oh gosh, over 10 different breathing techniques of ways to help you so that you have this full arsenal of breathing and options to pull from because I know I end up pulling like so many different techniques depending on where I'm at and how much time I have and what I'm feeling in my body at that moment. But this is a really just kind of fun one. So again, two quick inhales to one exhale. So, and this really helps to just bring you into your body and steady, calm down your heart rate. So Go ahead and take that as a action tip for you today. So anyway, all of these are just examples of why you can't escape the mindset. And it's so important and that successful writers prioritize mental training. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no way around it. And then... Gosh, I have to tell you guys about this study because it's very possible that you haven't heard about it. Hold on. I want to make sure I get it right. So, you know, there's so many different tools and techniques and strategies that are a part of mental training and mental coaching, right? And of course, we go in depth in all of these in my coaching, but a really powerful technique is visualization. And this really gets to the mind-body connection. And it's so fascinating. I just have so many things to say on this. Just my brain is exploding with things I want to share. Okay. So you can think of it as real. You can think of it as a hack, as a trick. But this is absolutely something that Olympic athletes use to achieve their goals. Because Olympic athletes are all in. It is not just physical training that leads to success, it's the mental training too. And I don't think anyone would disagree with the statement that Olympic athletes spend enormous amounts of time training and preparing for their events. That is not a controversial statement. And there was some really cool studies done. And basically, they found that the athletes who pictured themselves winning were more likely to do it. So there were some Russian scientists who conducted a study and they wanted, you know, they wanted to win, okay? Like they have to crush America, right? And so these Russian scientists, they want to figure out what's the best way to win. So they did a study and they compared training schedules and they took these Olympic athletes and put them into four groups and then assigned them to one of four training schedules. And each of these groups had a different combination of mental and physical training. So the first group had only physical training. They didn't do any mental training at all. So 100% physical skills. Group two, they did three quarters, so 75% focused on physical training. And then they took 25% and took that time, spent it on mental training. 
the third group split it 50-50 and they spent 50% of the time doing physical training for their sport and 50% of the time doing mental training. And the last group, the fourth group, they spent only 25% of their training time doing physical training, only 25%. And then they spent most of their time, 75% of their time doing mental training. So during the Olympics, that was their you know, result, right? So they assigned them a training regimen and then their test was how they performed during the Olympics. That was how they measured performance. And the scientists found that the fourth group, group four, that only had 25% physical training and 75% mental training, they performed the best during the Olympics. And this was, I mean, this is just, if your mind isn't exploding, just, I'm going to say it again for you. So in the fourth group of Russian Olympic athletes, the ones who spent most of their time, 75% of their time on their mental training and only 25% of their time doing physical training, they got the best scores at the Olympics. And this was such a crazy important finding that the U.S. Olympic Committee took that result and they said, we need to apply this here. And they took the number of full-time psychologists that they keep on staff from one to six over the last 20 years or so. That's massive. They're like, this is so important. We have to do this. And the cool thing about this, if you don't know anything about the neuroscience, is that when we visualize, we stimulate the same parts of our brain when we're visualizing an action as get activated when we actually are doing or performing that same action. So if you have a goal with your horse and you visualize in detail achieving that goal and focusing on it over the long term, you are activating the same parts of your brain and all those same neural pathways as if you're actually doing it. And so this is insanely powerful, insanely powerful. So this mind-body connection is real. It is so real. And the other thing that I want to just share when it comes to this mind-body connection is that I was having some discussions recently and it was so cool because I was talking with Abe, my husband, and we were talking about how much of our life is physical experience and how much is a mental experience. And we came to this idea that is it really a physical experience or is it in our mind? And it's so fascinating because I think this absolutely applies to horses. So it might sound a little crazy, but follow me through this train of thought here where riding a horse, you think it's just your physical body, right? You think it's using your core to stay centered on your horse. You're using your hand. You're moving it around with the reins. You're adjusting your legs. It's a very physical experience, right? Well, what controls your body? How does your body know when you want to start a spin to lift those reins up and lay them across your horse's neck? How does your body know to apply your leg to your horse's side? 
Does your body do that on its own? No. Your mind controls the body and your mind controls your body's responses and actions when you're riding. It all starts in your mind. Even the same thing with pain, right? Which is a distinctly physical experience. It feels very real. And But how does pain control work? It doesn't stop the pain in your muscles or in wherever you're hurting. Pain control works, you know, these pharmaceutical things, they alter the chemistry of your brain. They merely alter your perception of pain. They alter your perception of the physical experience that you are having. Isn't that insane? It's so cool. It's all this stuff is so wild and our brain is so powerful. And so it's it's not in many ways going through life it's your is your body is there, but it's your brain that is experiencing it. It's your brain that is adding any sort of meaning and directing your physical body. All of this stuff it starts and in many ways it ends in your brain. Boom. I mean, it's just it's kind of a mind trip. I'm not going to lie. So before I recorded this, I had a question box on my social media. So go ahead and follow us. Resilient Rainer on Instagram. Super fun. And we do daily polls, which is a really just fun way to interact with you guys. And it's fun to see what other people are thinking. So anyway, Resilient Rainer on Instagram. We do fun daily polls Monday to Friday. Hop on over. But I had a question box of, you know, stuff about mental training. What do you think? And one of the things that came up was that there's just, well, two, that there's this kind of a false dichotomy. And I want to address that. And also just a misunderstanding of mental training. And so the false dichotomy. Okay. So I think that there's there's definitely a false dichotomy here between mental and physical training. And so we had some people that reply about how mental training, like basically everything I've been talking about, that you have to just ride more. And I really want to clarify that mental training doesn't replace physical training, but it complements it. And it's that combination leads to improvement. It It's like trying to paint you know, a sunset with only one color and just you can't get there without it. Many people see both mental and physical training as either or options. And this is just binary black and white thinking. And I think that it really leads to an oversimplified view of what contributes to success. And so Historically, physical training has, you know, for horses, it's taken center stage, right? We were trying to breed better animals. We're trying to figure out how to train them to get them to do the weird things we want to do, right? (laughs) And so this physical training has, you know, it's historically taken center stage. It also is kind of, it's flashier, right? Like, ooh, look what I'm doing with my horse. It's easier to observe. And so these 
these 3D results where you'll see the strength and agility and, you know, skill, and that these tangible results can overshadow what can feel like intangible benefits of mental training, right? If you see someone have a really nice run in the arena, you can see their strength and agility. You can see the maneuvers that they're doing, but you can't necessarily see their mental state. You can't see if they're calm. You can't see and observe the fact that if their horse took an extra step, that they went, nope, not thinking about it. I'm right here in the moment. And they stayed super focused. That's more difficult to observe. And so when it's hard to observe some benefits and they can feel a little more tangible, it's easy to underestimate the importance of mental training and you know why you might see it as less important or secondary. And that when we separate mental and physical training, it creates this disjointed approach that hurts us because you end up ignoring vital aspects of your performance and because you're ignoring things like focus and resilience and ignoring your ability to handle pressure. And just that our mind and body are so connected that, you know, for example, if you've ever felt nervous, do you ever notice how that affects your posture? How you, you know, just literally how you're standing or just any emotional state, right? If you're feeling confrontational, the classic arms crossed, right? I mean, our our minds and body are so intertwined. And so we can't, we can't expect top performance without addressing that, right? And I think this also leads into another misconception we got about like mental training, like people being skeptical, like mental training is just about positive thinking, or it's just about kind of these mind tricks. And I'm so grateful for that question, because I think this is a really great kind of opportunity to talk about, for example, the distinction between like shallow affirmations and deep mental work, right? And so shallow affirmations, I would describe that as something really simple, maybe just kind of a generic positive statement that you would just repeat with the hope of changing behavior. So an example might be like, I'm a winner. I will succeed today. And I'm not going to say that they're bad, but they can really sometimes feel hollow and they can even create pressure and stress mentally and physically if you haven't aligned them with your deeper beliefs. So I would define like deeper mental work as more of a comprehensive and tailored approach to developing mental strength. And so and this is, you know, what I get into in my coaching, but it involves you have to understand yourself and having specific goals. You might be, you know, visualizing what your success looks like. You're we're talking about managing your emotions, building resilience, like all of these personalized mental routines and having a personalized mental routine before competition because people get nervous and anxious about different things. And so figuring out what you need is really key. And that getting back to kind of these shallow affirmations, if they lack personal relevance or if they are disconnected to real life situations, 
that can actually end up kind of hurting you because if you're just repeating a phrase and it's not connected to action or an underlying belief, you can end up feeling disillusioned or potentially even reinforce negative beliefs even about yourself. For example, if you said, I'm a winner, but then you didn't go ride your horse or you made excuses or you never took any of the follow through actions, are you really going to believe that? No, of course you're not because you can't you can't really fool yourself. And so this deep mental work is all about creating alignment between your thoughts, your beliefs, your emotions and your actions. And so this really requires a lot from people. It requires self-reflection. You have to have consistency, consistent practice, and it really helps to have guidance and accountability from a coach like me. So anyway, so all of this is just, I'm trying to share that it is a lot of deep mental work to really overcome these barriers that you can have and to release see results, see changes in your 3D physical world and your internal world. So of course, affirmations can be part of deep mental work, but they really have to be used intentionally and connected to specific goals and actions, and that it becomes so much more than words when you tie it to a broader mental training regime. So I do feel passionate about this, apparently. Um, So anyway, I do encourage you to, you know, move beyond the surface. All right. Okay. What else do we want to talk about? Let's review. Let me think back what we have covered today because this has been awesome. We talked about the number one misconception that folks make about their horse life, that more riding means more success. And that is such an ingrained belief in the horse world, even though it's not true. We did a bunch of counter examples, diving into what differentiates winners from losers if they both ride the same. And it's the mindset. It's the mental game. It's all of their internal work. So more riding does not mean more success. We talked about the mind-body connection. I shared some studies. Those are so cool. We talked about why mental preparation isn't just woo-woo. This really is a scientifically backed method to enhance performance. And it's so powerful. Okay, practical takeaways. I know it's like drinking from a fire hose (laughs) because, I mean, it took me years to learn all of the things that I share and figure out how to apply them. Um, So it is like drinking from a fire hose. (laughs) So let me give you just a couple specific takeaways for listeners as an introduction to some mental techniques that you can start applying today. So the quote that I shared from that professional horseman, is it Shelly Bryan, is really awesome about this breathing technique of two quick inhales to one long exhale. And conscious breathing is so powerful. Um, It really helps bring you into present moment awareness. And when you are in the present moment, it's so powerful because you get to, you get the full power of you. Okay. You're not giving it away, worrying about what someone's doing in the warm up pen or what you're going to do when your run is over or what your horse is going to do when two minutes when you're still riding. Just being in the moment is so powerful and it really does 
wonderful, amazing things for just releasing your anxiety and releasing your fear and worry when you can truly be in the present moment. And it's so powerful to learn how to get present in your physical body and breathing absolutely helps with that. So practicing conscious breathing is really helpful. And again, you only have to do a couple of these and you really start to feel that awareness of the present moment and you feel grounded in your body and you start to feel the shift. So any other sort of mindfulness and awareness practices that you care to implement in your day are really helpful. What else can you do? We did talk about visualization today, so I'm going to throw that out there. This can be a fun challenge for you to practice visualizing your next ride. So if you're preparing for a show, if you have, you know, an event, imagine your run. If you're not preparing for an event, imagine whatever it is you're working on and visualize that. And I'm talking obnoxious levels of detail, right? Like if you're a rainer and you're in the center and you're visualizing your spin, and maybe it feels like too much to visualize an entire run, so start with one maneuver, right? Because it it can feel like it can take time and energy to do an entire run, especially when you're just starting. So start with like one maneuver. What I mean by obnoxious detail is if you're doing a spin, when you shut that spin off, are you going to have to adjust your reins? Are you going to have to flip them out of your horse's mane? You better include that in your visualization. You better include that feeling of, Do you feel like your heart has to catch back up to your body because you get a little whiplash? Put that in your visualization. Do you need like a breath or two before you go the other way? Put it in your visualization. Do you have a five-step process of how you start that spin? Put it in your visualization and then include anything you can. All of your five senses. You might smell the sweat on your horse. You know, it's summer, it's hot. Everybody's sweaty, right? Um, Do you like to chew gum? Do you have like a mint taste in your mouth? Make it as fully fleshed out as you can and just visualize that one maneuver, right? And then of course, all of these things done consistently are really where the real power is. It's not just a one-time thing. So try visualizing that one maneuver for even just five days in a row. See what happens. See what happens. And then send me a message And tell me what you did and the results that you got, because I love hearing from you guys. So giving you a couple little practical takeaways in addition to really, I hope you feel like I've obliterated in this detailed episode why it is such ridiculousness and not true. The biggest misconception is that the best way to improve your riding and showing is to ride more because it's not. Okay. It is not. Got to work on your mental game. All right. Thank you so much. I truly am so grateful for each and every one of you who choose to spend a part of your life with me listening to the podcast. I want to encourage you, if you've gotten something out of this, please go to iTunes, go to Spotify, go leave a five-star review with just one little comment about something you got from this episode. It really helps the podcast. If you hated it, send it to somebody you don't like. And thank you. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week. Hey there, friends. This is Nicole. 
And as we wrap up today's episode, I've got an opportunity you won't want to pass up. If you've ever felt like something's holding you back in your writing, if you've ever wondered how to truly become unshakable in the saddle and build a strong bond with your horse, then our upcoming live training is for you. It's called The Resilient Rider, Mind Mastery for Peak Riding and Horse Connection, and it's tailored to help you break through your barriers and ride like never before. We'll dive deep into specific mental hacks and techniques that can turn good riders into great ones. This is the edge you've been looking for, and it's time to seize it. So don't just stand there at the gate. Head over to www.nicoleburnettcoaching.com to register. Spaces are limited, and trust me, this is one ride you don't want to miss. Keep riding, and I'll see you at the Resilient Rider Training. Until next time.